It's been a fantastic time at camp, and one of the things that I've been sensing in my heart is that the Lord is, there's almost two sections to what's going on right now, what the Lord wants to do in his family here at New Hope. Some people have been through a tumultuous time in the recent past, and it's been painful, and it's been disorienting, but I sense the Lord wants to say to you, in your life, you have known the joy of the Lord. And yet through the ups and downs and the roughs and tumbles of this life, you've been hurt and confused. I sense the Lord says this, the key for you to keep moving forward is to keep his praises on your lips, to keep your eyes on him irrespective of the circumstances, for they shall pass. Hold tight, hold firm to what we sung about this morning, the promises of God. For they will never let you down. He will never fail you. Hold tight and be encouraged. And all those who believe that said, Amen. Amen. The second group of you, the second group is what we want to focus on this morning. And it's how now to move forward in such a way that when I cross that line into heaven, my life will have counted for all of eternity. That's the group. The people who are sitting in this room who want to make their life really count. This is who I believe God wants to speak to today. And we're going to be reading, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to whip them out to 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel, that's in the um, Old Testament. And by the way, just on that one, you know, those of you who have children and grandchildren, I encourage you to help them to learn the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. What's next? Kings, Kings. Chronicles, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and on and on. Many of you can do that. If you can't yourself, how can you teach your children? And the Bible says, teach your children. The best example you can be is what you do. Your children will repeat what you do, not what you say. Hey, you should read the Bible. Oh, you should read the Bible. Do we? You should remember the books of the Bible. Do we? Can we? Grandchildren. It is a great example to our children to be familiar with God's Word so that we can instruct them. So, okay, we're in a series which I'm going to do for another two weeks after this, called How to Make Your Life Count. And if you're a Christian, and all of you in this room, I think, are, that is really important to us. We do not want to play trivial pursuit with our lives. No, no way. Not interested. We want to get on with a real game, the real deal. So what does it mean, actually mean, to make your life count in God's eyes? Now, that depends upon who you ask. What does it mean to make your life count? If you're asking people at work, well, they'd say, well, it depends how they define, this is a very important word, success. How did you know that, Shona? You've been reading my notes. <laughs> how you define success. And by the way, husband and wife, that is a very important conversation to have. We have one life. 
How do we, me, Grant, Renee, Boyette, Celine, and Constant, how do we define success for us? Forget what Babylon says, if you'd excuse the expression. Forget what the world says, because what mostly they are chasing is what I talked about last week, which is what? Position, and which has prestige. Look at me. Or my position. Look what I own. That's what the world chases. And Jesus clearly says to us, do not be sucked in by that. That is what the world counts as success. And what's often, Jesus says, is going to be first in this world, is going to be last. And the last shall be first. Remember the values of the kingdom are antithetical to the values of this world. Do not forget that, friends, family. Okay. Because if you were to ask the world today, what does success look like? They'd say, well, it depends on you ask. If you were from Hollywood, what success would look like is big muscles and a pretty face and a good body, right? Ooh, why did I do that? It must be a female body, right? <laughs> whoa, 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 I'm in trouble here. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> if you were in Wellington and you were a politician, success to you will probably look like, well, how many connections you have to get done, what you need to get done, right? Is that fair? If you're on the stock exchange, it's how many deals you can put together or how much financial clout and leverage. That's success defined by them. If you're a rugby selector, what will be important for you is to be able to spot those who have the uh, great physique and good conditioning and good skills. That will be success. But that's what they say. Now I want to turn around and look at what we're going to focus on today. That's the world not interested in what the world says is success. Because it means not a hill of beans in eternity. What does God say is success all about? Greatness is what he calls it. What does God say about greatness in his kingdom? Not in this world, which will soon be gone. Well, let's pick that up. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord who's the only one that we live our lives for, does not look at the things that a man looks at. What do you drive? What do you do for a job? What are you going to do when you retire? That's, by the way, that word is not in the Bible. Man looks on the outward appearance, how pretty, how beautiful, how strong, how well you can do this or that, the other. But, and this is the contra juxtaposition here, he says, the Lord looks at the heart, and the heart of the matter is indeed in the heart. Circle the word heart there. God says that greatness is determined by faith and character, not by reputation and prestige and positions and, and all those things there. If you want to make your life count, if you really want to be great in God's eyes, not the world's eyes, it's a matter of what goes on in the heart. So today, we're going to look. Last week, by the way, pop quiz. You young people should get this quick. The older people, they tend to forget these things. Which was the great character that we looked in the Old Testament last, last week? Oh my goodness, Grant! <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Moses! And we looked at his characteristics. Today we're going to look at David. David, one of the greatest men who ever lived. He started off as a shepherd, very humbly, 
writing songs and singing them to the sheep with his heart. Nobody listened to them apart from the sheep. Yet at the right time, he had no clue. One day, all of those songs whoops, will be included in the book of Psalms. What started in humility with nobody listening, with a heart after God, he used that in the entire book of Psalms there. He was a poet. This man was a general. So he'd had lots of experiences from the lowest to the highest. He united kingdoms. And, of course, the most famous story, guys, is he was a giant killer, which I love. He had an incredible lineup of achievements. But here's the point. God was not impressed with any of his achievements. He doesn't mention that here. What impressed God about David was his heart. Not his position, not his wealth and possessions at the peak of his career, didn't know that, or his worldly accomplishments did not impress God one iota. But in Acts 13, 22, God says this. This is what impresses him. Look at it. Acts 13, 22. David is a man after my own heart. He gets it. He's in line with my heart. Are we, are you a person after God's heart? Does your heart run and pump and, and, and resonate with what God wants in his heart? What does God want? God is not willing that any should perish. That gets his heart going. So much so that he sent him, motivated him to send his son. That is on the top of God's heart. Love and compassion for those who don't even love him as Gerard described. Does our heart start to resonate in that direction? Should we maybe make an adjustment in that area? So if you want to be um, like that, have a, a heart after God's heart, how do you, by the way, how do you know what a person's heart is like? One of the ways, there's actually four things we're going to look at today which will help reveal the test of our own heart, which David, you're going to see in the life of David. Four tests of our heart that reveal what's in our heart and how we respond to this, these circumstances in life. Four key things, four great tests of your heart. I'm going to touch on them and I'm going to drill into them. The first one is how our heart reacts to sin. You won't be able to write that in just yet. And then stress. What happens when stress comes into our life? Do we freak out, have a meltdown? What is that? Or when God calls us to do something which is outside of our comfort zone. Whoa, God. And threatens our security. Huh? And number four, how we deal with success. Quotes and air quotes. I want to come back to what that is. Because, friend, if you do nothing else today, you and your spouse need to have a conversation about what it really means for us. Success. What is that? Okay. So today I'm going to compare how David, the biblical example of how David handled each of these four tests that we may learn from him. Because that's the purpose why God put them in there. Number one, David's response to sin was a repentant heart. That word repent, it means I was going this way, God convicted me, and whoa, I turned around and I went back the other way. I turned around. It's not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and keep going down this direction. That's 
Oh, I was going to say a rude word there. That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Repentance means metanoia. You look at it. It means to turn around. You are not repenting if you're still going in the same direction. You have to turn around and say, God, you're right. I was wrong. Wrong direction. I'm going your direction. That's what true repentance is. It means you change your mind about something, which outworks in changing your behavior and even your feelings. Right. So David's prayer of confession, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, this is when David blew it. The first one thing I noticed there, mind you, it's pretty hard not to notice when you had Nathan up your front grill telling you fair in your face. You sinned. He repented. And this is what he says. Look, look at what he says here. You'll see it in Psalm 51, verse 1. So, okay, you're being, some, something is tremendously wrong, and this is his response. Oh, loving and kind God, have mercy. Have pity upon me and take away the awful stains of my sin. Z, plural. Wash me, cleanse me from this guilt. Let me be pure again, for I admit my shameful deeds. You know what? Personal confession. There have been times in my life when I have done things so bad I could hardly bring myself to ask for forgiveness because I didn't want to verbalize the thoughts. He says, I admit my shameful deeds. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't excuse it. Oh, well, it's Bathsheba. We should not have been standing out there with no clothes on. And she caused me to do that. If I'd never seen that, I never would have done that. He didn't do that. I'm just telling you the truth. Scripture says... He's honest to God, and that is the first characteristic of a heart after God. And it doesn't have to be a sexual sin. It could be a sin which is of lukewarmness. Because here's why. We go, what's so bad about being lukewarm? God says, if you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's what God says. We tend to rationalize, oh, well, I'm too busy. It's not convenient. God says, Seek first, not second, third, fourth, fifth, or doubt, whenever it's convenient, the kingdom of God. Whatever it is, be honest to God. Say, God, you're right. You are right, and I am wrong. So the Bible paints David, by the way, notice this, you guys, with all of his faults as well. It says he was a king, he was a poet, he was a leader. Yes, he was, but he was also a liar. The Bible tells you that. He was a betrayer, an adulterer, and a murderer. So the Bible, what I'm trying to tell you, is it always tells the truth. It doesn't garnish everything with a a rose-colored spectacles. It tells you as it is, and then we can see ourselves in this. Now, you do not have to be perfect to have a heart after God. Think about that. You don't. You just have to be a great repenter. God will not reject a repentant heart. Psalm 51 says that. 
God will not reject a repentant heart. That is a guarantee. If you repent, God accepts you. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. That's the truth. So do not let the enemy for one moment stop you in your Christian walk and thwart you and hinder you because of the fact that you don't think he'll listen to you and forgive you. So David, now this is the key. I've been impressed with this sort of thought recently. What gets your attention gets you. Let me say that again. What gets your attention gets you. So if you're just focused on your sin all the time, you're going to be overwhelmed by that. But David, here's the key. He focused more on God's forgiveness than he did on his own failure. Once he recognized that, he would say, God, whoa, the Holy Spirit shone into his heart and he knew this, the depth of his depravity and sin and his licentiousness. And instead what he did, he goes, God, thank you that you are loving and merciful and kind and you forgive. Cleanse me. But he, he looked to God's forgiveness more than wallowing in his own failure because that's really easy to do. God can never use me again. I've blown so much of my life. So Satan has sidelined many people to thinking this. Because of my past, because of what's happened to me, God can never work through me. I'll never amount to anything great in the kingdom of God. Friend, if you've ever thought that, that is totally wrong. 100%. If God can use David, he can use anybody, right? Yeah. So don't let the enemy say that to you. You do not have to be perfect. You just have to repent quickly. And be sincere about that, remember? It's not just, I repent, sorry, carry on. I repent, sorry, carry on. That's not repenting. That's deceiving yourself and myself. So on this one, I want you to evaluate yourself. On your, this is between you and God. On this particular issue, how do you react when you feel a twinge? In the, you know it's the Holy Spirit, and He speaks to you about something. Do you deny it? Or not minimize it? Do you excuse it? If that's you, give yourself a one. Because at least you heard, you heard him and he spoke to you about something. Question is, are you doing something about it? Do you repent immediately? And remember, repent means not just saying you're sorry. It means turning around and walking back away from that. Whatever that may be to you. So God says when it comes to sin, a man or woman after my own heart has a repentant heart. When the Holy Spirit convicts, you're willing to turn around and change direction. And that, my friend, is the cost of discipleship. The true cost of discipleship. Number two, when it comes to stress, anybody familiar with that word? <laughs> okay. When you have this unbelievable stress in your heart, David had a trusting heart. Few people, in my view, had more stress than David, perhaps Job. But he's another good example. In Psalm 118, verse 5, I love this. In my deep kimchi. Here it is. In my distress. Ah, I'm in hot water. <laughs> this is not good. I'm stressed. I'm freaking. I hate this. Get me out of here. I, I can't believe this is happening to me. Now, maybe you've never had that. You're looking all very demure there this morning. But I know what that feels like, so much so that I actually feel prickly on my skin. There's that much stress sometimes. 
in my distress, not when it was through the other side, in the middle of it, I prayed to the Lord. Now, there's a good thing for a start. In the middle of your stress, pray. Be faithful in prayer. Endure affliction. Endure hardship. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord. And he answered me. In my distress, I didn't go to the movies and just try and anesthetize myself for a temporary hit. That doesn't work so well. It's a distraction. It doesn't deal with the root of the issue. It's a denial. That's what that is there. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord. And he answered me. And he rescued me. He is for me. That's why I love what I say. Remember, it's not what the world says about you. I am who you say I am, not what the world says I am. And that is so good. How can I be afraid? If the Lord is for me, what's the next part of that verse? Oh, I love this church. Always getting organized on them. But David, friends, listen to this. Imagine this, Simon. He had a constant war with his neighboring nations. He was in trouble. And in those days, they fought with real swords, two-edged ones. There goes an arm. It's pretty bloody. He had to fight giants, run from Saul for years, who was pursuing his blessed assurance around a very harsh desert. It's hot there. If those of you next year in 2020, we're planning to go to Israel, you'll see the exact place where he was and what he was running for. He hid in caves for years. On top of that, he had incredible family problems. I mean, you think you're the family problem. This is, mm, yeah, it's okay. We can probably say this. One son raped one of his daughters. You read that, of course, right? And another son killed that brother. So you think you got family problems? Let me just right-size them. Okay, this is David. His family was a mess. He had another son who rebelled against him and overtook the throne and took over his palace. Says, he booted you out of your home. This is David. Did you realize what happened to you? So Cooper and Mandy just toss you guys out. <laughs> I mean, you think this is what happened? This is what happened to this guy. You think David's sitting there on the heart watching his sheep. Man, this guy <laughs> went through it. Now notice though, he didn't let tragedy and stress in his life keep him from praying and trusting and keeping moving forward with God. He didn't let that. Sometimes when something goes wrong in my life, <laughs> my mum was great with this. She said, one day, I mean, you know, she said, what's your problem? Why are you feeling sorry for yourself? Oh, boy, that woman was tough. <laughs> and she had that attitude, which is great. Sometimes we feel too much, too sorry for ourselves. David kept moving forward in God. And by the way, courage, courage is not the absence of fear. It's pressing ahead in spite of your fear and in spite of your confusion, moving forward. And he said, God is my rock, friend. That is the truth. Stuff in your life can be all going to hell in a handbasket, as it has done in my life for many of your lives. But God is my rock. He's the one thing in my life which is immovable. I can build on Him. I can drill down and build my life on Him. Him and His love, which will never fail. Other people's love will fail me. It is fickle. And, but His never is. So, He's a shield. When people fire darts at you, even if they don't like you, God loves you. And that gives me hope and courage.
Which is fantastic. Here's my fortress. So when I'm under stress, I trust God. Notice this, 73 verse 26, Psalms. My mind and my body may grow weak. Some of you are exhausted for the battle. But God is my strength. He is all I ever need. He's it. Everybody else was afraid to take on Goliath. Everybody else said, man, that guy's too big to kill. He's nearly nine foot tall. And David said, no, he ain't. He's too big to miss. Let me get after him. (laughs) Psalm 116 gives you the key. He says, I kept on believing. I kept moving forward and trusting in my God. Now, some of you need to do that now. Maybe you're going through dark times or uncertain times. You need to keep believing and trusting and moving forward. David even said this. This is insightful. I know how that feels. Even when I said I am completely crushed. Wow. This is how you have a heart after God. This is how Satan doesn't sideline you with disappointment and discouragement and despair. Even when I'm completely crushed, even when I'm saying I'm going under for the last time, in my heart I kept on believing and holding tight. When you sin, you have a repentant heart if you have a heart after God. When you're in distress, you have a trusting heart if you have a heart after God. And so evaluate yourself on this one. Right now, do I have an anxious heart? Or a doubtful heart? Give yourself wherever that is on the scale. Or do you have a trusting heart? Irrespective of whether you're being fired, demoted, things are going badly, things aren't working out as you planned. Is God your rock, your fortress? Your rock is to build on, your fortress is to keep safe from. The righteous are safe because they run into the name of the Lord, not by themselves a new car to try and pick themselves. That doesn't do anything for you. Number three, people with God's uh, that are after God's heart that He will use as David's response shows uh, to service was a servant's heart. His response to service that God wanted him to do was a servant's heart. He wasn't too proud. He was willing to do, here's the point, whatever God asked him to do. His desire was, I always want to do your will more than anything else. Look at this in Acts 13, 22. See, why is this being quoted by Paul in Acts? Why in the New Testament? Because it's an example for us. The Bible says, after removing Saul, he made, this is God, um, excuse me, the prophet, Um, He made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David's son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Here's the point. Qualifier or clarifier. He will do everything that I want him to do. Nothing was held back. Everything. Look at that. Could God say that about you? about me. There was a time in my life when I was cruising along in a reasonable trajectory in the world's eyes. Reasonable. Nothing fantastic, but it was reasonable. And God said, I want you to give all this up. Boom. My job, my house, or our house, excuse me, you know, our family and everything. I want you to stop that now. 
and I want you to go where I'm going to show you. And I'm going to open a way you've never even seen before. That was extremely challenging. But Kimberly and I have been praying, God will do whatever it takes. We want to make our lives count. Use us. See, David had a servant's heart. And it's worth noting here, out the side here, there are four. So what does it actually mean that you can take and use? See, if I just said no, no to the job, no to, the, no, no to everything I had here, physically speaking, that would then become between me and God, and that would be an idol for me. If God has allowed you to have something and he asks you to give it up, whatever that may be, it's a test of my heart. It's a test of your heart. Now, it's worth noting here, I've, it's not in your outline, but I want to clearly define, because there's a lot of confusion about this, and I want to make it really clear. What are the characteristics of a servant heart? By the way, the first one is this. You may just want to write how servant's heart and four basic things. Number one, he was wholehearted. W-H-O-L-E, wholehearted. That's what David was. Psalm 119 says, with all my heart, I try to serve you. Now, you won't get it all right all the time. I certainly don't. David served God with zeal and enthusiasm. He didn't do it because it was a duty, but he did it with joy for Jesus. He wanted to serve the Lord, and that's different to many people today. So often it's a lukewarm response, as long, and even a reasonable response sometimes, as long as it doesn't impinge on my lifestyle or my goals and my objectives. That's a whole different deal then. And that's an attitude of life for many people. They are servants to their plans, not to God's plans. And sometimes those two are diametrically opposed. Sometimes people are flat, could I say this, too independent. Independence has gone mad. It's, see, this is what happens. Three stages of growth. First of all, you're a little baby like Miriam. She is totally dependent. That's cool. She's supposed to be. That's the way God designed it. Then we, as parents, try to move our kids to be independent so they can earn their own money, clean their own room, row the boat, do their own washing, pay for their own education. That's okay. So they become independent. That's part of our job, to move our kids from that stage, which is dependence, to independence. But there's another stage. Trouble is people are stunted with their growth. They stop here. The next stage of true maturity is interdependence. Interdependence. Like a proper family. And that's God's view. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. David is a servant's heart. And Jesus said, if you want to be great, his definition of great, not the world's, his definition, you must be a servant of all. So greatness comes through service. You'll never be great until you can learn to be a servant and serve other people. Second part of that means of being a servant heart is you are focused. He refused to be sidetracked by less important things. Anybody find that problem at work sometimes? <laughs> There's all these things that come up. And it's really easy to get sidetracked off less important things. And the Bible encourages us here. Here's a word for some of us here today. Psalm 119 verse, what is it? 
And it's actually, I think it's, is it 37 to 38? I may have made a typo here. Anyway, Psalm 119, it says, keep me paying from paying attention to what is worthless. What does worthless mean? It means worthless. Less worth. It's of less worth than the true things in life. The things that God calls us to. Help me from, keep me from paying attention. What gets your attention gets you. Be careful. That will be a good verse to put on many internet sites. Worthless. Waste of time. A lot of TV shows. A lot of magazines. Worthless. Good distraction. In fact, bad distraction from God's purposes. David was focused. He was focused. And you could sense this in your life. And some of you will sense a sharpening, a a focus in your life around God's purposes rather than your own. He wanted to serve God because that was going to count. Not all the other stuff in the life. That won't even count 50 years from now, let alone the whole of eternity. David said, I'm going to make my life count. Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Great prayer. By the way, some things are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. So what he's saying there in the current vernacular is get rid of trivial pursuit. Get rid of that. And make your life count. Why? Because God says that what, that's what it means to be a man or woman after their heart, God's heart. So David served God wholeheartedly. He focused on his service. And the third part of the servant heart You can't get away from this, friends. It was sacrificial. It was sacrificial. David says this in 2 Samuel 24, 24. This is is one of the verses that got me by the throat. I'm just showing you. When I was called to leave my position and possessions and my prestige in my previous role, one of the first things, and get another and, and increase my education, one of the things that shocked me is it's going to cost me about $50,000 just for the education. I go, dollars That's a lot of money. And that was real money, Ben, by the way, back then. That was real money. <laughs> 23 years ago, that was a lot of shamoli. And as I was reading through this verse, way back then, this verse struck me. 2 Samuel 24, 24. I will not offer to the Lord sacrifices that have cost me nothing. Whoa. What's the context of that? David was going to go build an altar to God. He just had a wonderful victory. And he saw a field and he said, and he went across to see the guy who owned the field and said, listen, I'd like to buy this off you because I want to build an altar here. You know, I'd like to you put some rocks here and make a monument and I'll grab some cattle, sacrifice them there, and you would pay for it. But the landowner said, listen, listen, King David, you are such an amazing king. We'll pay for the lot for you. And David goes, no way. No way. I will not offer to the Lord a sacrifice that's cost me nothing. Do you see that? That gave me strength to go, God, any money you have is yours anyway. And therefore, you're able to do with it whatever you want. You want to do this? Let's do it. Now, that took about a week or two to get there, but we got there. (laughs) See, the point was, David was saying, I don't serve God with my leftovers. Hmm. When it doesn't cost me anything. I owe everything I have to my creator. My hands, my brain, my muscles, my body, everything I have. I will never offer the Lord that's cost me nothing. So if you claim to be a Christian, a believer, my question to you, and I ask myself this question too, what is it costing you? 
because you cannot get, get away from this. Greatness requires sacrifice. There is no way you can undo that equation. If it costs you nothing, it's not a sacrifice. And mediocrity is just trying to get by by what's the minimum I can do to still call myself a Christian? What is the minimum I can do to still say I believe in God? Because greatness always requires sacrifice. And all it really is is sacrifice of my plans. That's what it really came down to. What I have plans to do with that. That's what it came down to. That money or whatever it may be. Or that time or that job. So evaluate yourself on this one. How do I serve God? Not at all. Give yourself a one. Grudgingly or when it's convenient? Or is it gratefully? Is it half-heartedly? Or is it wholeheartedly? Whatever you do, give yourself as a living sacrifice, right? A living sacrifice. See, the trouble is, we, we want to get, Lord, I want to be a sacrifice for you. And we lie ourselves on the altar. And as we see the, uh, the, 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 the knife coming towards you, we go, oh, I think I'll hop off of you. <laughs> and we check it out. Anybody been there before? I have. David was a man after God's heart because one, when he felt the Holy Spirit convict him, he repented immediately. No messing around with that one. Second, when he was under stress and those people chased him all around the deserts, he turned to God and he trusted. He trusted. Third, he served. He wholeheartedly, freely and willingly served sacrificially. And he eventually experienced the fourth test which every single person in this room will eventually face and will be a definer. And that's that word I started off with at the beginning, success. David's response to success was a humble heart. A humble heart. See, God wants to work on and through your life to take you deeper and to build your character, not to have success in the world's eyes for success's sake. That doesn't matter a hill of beans. Look at this, 1 Samuel 18, 14. In everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. Circle that word, everything. In one sense, David was probably the most successful man who ever lived. He stepped out in faith. He knocks off Goliath, becomes a national hero. People even wrote songs about the guy. Well, Saul slayed thousands, but David slaved his tens of thousands. And the Bible says that all of Judah and Israel loved David, so he was very popular too, in one sense. He had an unbroken string of successes at the top of his career. And that is the ultimate test of your heart. How do you handle praise, success, material success? Do you spend it all on yourself? Do you imbibe of all that glory yourself? How do you handle the, quote, good life? David's response was this. I want you to know what he did. So he's at the pinnacle. What is you? He gives all the glory to God, and he refuses to take credit for himself. He didn't let it go to his head, which is really telling you what's going on in his heart. How do you handle it when people praise you? You know what? I found it's actually easier to handle adversity because we're then conscious of our need for God. When we're doing well, money's on the table, all is in order in our family, it's very easy to forget God as a priority. When things are going to hell in a handbasket, your nose is in the carpet and you don't leave it because 
has got your attention. Psalm 115, verse 1. Look at the way he handles it. To you alone, O Lord, to you alone. He says it twice. And not to us must the glory be given. David gave all the credit to God. All. The whole lot. He did not let it go to his head. He had a humble heart. And that's a recipe for greatness in God's kingdom. Because God is opposed to the proud. And pride can come in some very subtle ways. How, how did he handle it? Because he knew the truth. Look at this. Psalms 56, 75 verse 6. For promotion and power come from nowhere on earth. Oh, you think your boss did that. Uh-uh. But only from God. He promotes one and he deposes another. So David knew this from personal experience. And by the way, there was an awful long time from the time he was chosen and anointed in that field to be king until he actually became king. Samuel the prophet came and anointed him whilst he was still a shepherd boy. In those years, the current king was King Saul. And Saul learned about David and tried to kill him. He ran for his life, as I mentioned, in these caves. But there was a delay, always is, between God's promise and his provision. But David waited. He knew that God, way back here, had anointed him king. But he refused. You'd think that, well, this could be a God-anointed opportunity to knock off the king, to assassinate him. But he didn't push. He didn't try and grasp what God had for him. In God's time, he would do it. He refused to push and jimmy his way up to the top. He said, God's in control. He waited on God's timing and he was a humble man. So evaluate yourself on this one here. How do you handle success? Especially in the world's eyes. Do you tend to pray less when things are going well? When everything's fine and wonderful, do you let your spiritual disciplines and commitment slide? Oh, two of the key disciplines, listen, friends, this is a fact. You can take this home and you can bank it. Your engagement in the Word of God, your children's engagement in the Word of God is a statistical predictor of the longevity with Jesus. This is the hard arm of the facts. If you love God, listen, when I used to live in Palmerston North, 300 and something miles away, I used to get a letter. In those days, we said letters, no emails, right? There weren't any such things existed. But when that letter came, I would grab it and go to my room and I would read it and read it. And I, could, I used to love getting those letters because I loved her. If we love Jesus, we'll love his words to us and we'll spend time and enjoy it. That is a spiritual discipline that if you are to be a growing Christian, we have to have at the very base of our lives. So evaluate yourself on that one. It's amazing to me, though, that these four qualities that we've just looked at here are the very qualities that most people overlook when they're looking for a great person, a great employee. We completely miss those. We look on the outward, not on the inward. People don't look for humility and servanthood and a trusting and repentant heart. But these are the very qualities that God looks for when he says that person is a great person. 
a man or woman after my heart. And God is still looking for people with great hearts. Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord search backward and forward across the whole earth looking for people whose hearts are perfect towards him so that he can show his great power in helping them. So friends, God is looking for people to work through. So today, if God's Holy Spirit did an x-ray on the hearts in this room and your heart, what would it reveal? Would it reveal a heart that was prepared to say, I'm wrong? Or would it see a heart that was trying to fudge? Well, it really wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault. Oh, it's not that bad. Everybody's doing that. Everybody's doing it. Friends, on this one issue, let me just choose one. Sex is between one man and one woman in the confines of marriage alone. Any other derivation of that is a corruption of the good gift that God gave sex for. And that's what the enemy does. He takes something good of God and he corrupts it. Everybody's doing it. I'll tell you what, sometimes, even sometimes in some Christian homes. Or would the Holy Spirit find an attitude, no, I'm sorry, that was wrong, I'm stopping that. A repentant heart. Would it reveal a trusting heart? Or would it reveal an anxious heart that gets worried? Martha, Martha, why are you so worried about so many things? Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. So if God's Holy Spirit was x-raying your heart today, would it see you trusting God or freaking out? When it comes to service, would it be a real servant's heart or is, actually, I don't have time to help. I'm too busy on other things. Or would you, would you say, Lord, help me today to be not so preoccupied with other things that are worthless, that ultimately will never matter. Help me in my life count. Lastly, God is looking for people who will be great for him. And it all starts with a recommitment to God and his purposes in this world. Not ours, not mine, not the world's. And it's a commitment that says, God, I am not perfect, but more than anything else, I want a heart after you. And this is what the Bible records about David. Last verse. Acts 13, 16. For when David had served God's purposes, which are eternal, in his generation, which is today, he died. It's so simple. He served the timeless in the now. He was committed to the eternal in a contemporary setting. He served God in his generation. When it's finished, he went to be the Lord with heaven. When you die, my deepest prayer is that God will be able to say that about you, that you serve God's purposes in your generation, God's purposes, and then you came home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is clear. Your Holy Spirit, Lord, encourages us, convicts us, counsels us. Would you help us serve you, Father, with a whole heart this new year? This new season in your church, help us to be about your purposes, not about ours. 
And we pray as we do that, you will bless, guide, and add to your people those whom you want to be saved. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.